Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host. Ron Roberts. All right. Welcome to the Tuesday edition. Thank you for listening on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever it is that you podcast. Uh, later in the show, I have attorney Wayne Kendall on. He is going to discuss the multiple attempts that he's made to try to hold current Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones accountable for being a part of the Trump fake elector scheme. He believes that Burt Jones is actually ineligible for the office that he holds and should be ineligible to run for any office again. It's uh, a complex situation, and I admittedly (laughs) don't know the legal ramifications, but I thought, who better to guide me on knowing better what those ramifications are than the attorney that has made the case now a second time to have the lieutenant governor face repercussions for his actions. So we'll talk with attorney Wayne Kendall on the second half of the show. Want to start with some action yesterday in the Georgia State Senate where they decided to waste our time and taxpayer dollar to pass a useless resolution along party lines to condemn President Joe Biden's immigration policies and to encourage Congress to close the U.S.-Mexico border and finance a border wall, the state house will have a similar resolution to go through today. Why? What on earth? This is, I mean, I know why. And you and I probably together know why. This is an election year red meat fodder. I guarantee you nothing in the language of this useless resolution says squat about House Speaker Mike Johnson sitting on a bipartisan immigration bill that he won't allow onto the House floor for a vote at the behest of former President Donald Trump because it would benefit him politically to continue to have immigration as a problem to grouse about the remaining election cycle. I guarantee you there's nothing in that. And while I'd love to sit here and review floor speeches and blah, 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 I think we know, again, along party lines, that's how the vote went. That's exactly how the rhetoric is going to go as well. But At what point are we going to start holding our state legislators accountable for legislation that doesn't benefit anyone except for maybe a handful here or there? In this case, the election odds for one Donald John Trump. Or even, for example, the the last week we talked about the, the, the gun tax holiday that was supposed to be under the guise of supporting hunters. They touched on this a little bit Sunday morning on the Georgia Gang, which you can catch uh, Sunday mornings, 8.30 to 9 on WAGA-TV Fox 5. Uh, Lori Geary leads off a segment and uh, Janelle. Uh, Take a listen to this. This week, the state Senate passed a bill that would allow a state tax holiday for the purchase of firearms during the first week of hunting season. Janelle, I'm just going to go right to you. (laughs) Do we do we really need this? We We do. Okay. So first of all, um, we do have too many deer. I mean, it's it's a little wild. Okay, I had to move all of my rose bushes because the deer ate all of my roses. Now the AJC reported (laughs) that we are seeing a four percent drop in the deer population every year because they're hunting. (laughs) 
Okay, so right away, I can tell Lori, the moderator, who I think kind of keeps herself uh, independent and out of the fray. She's you can you can tell she's like, do we need this? And then she fact checks Janelle, uh, Rose Bushes be damned, Janelle, uh, <laughs> about how the deer population is actually decreasing in the state. But Janelle gonna Janelle. But two, um, I, I I think this would be good for people like me who's a gun owner. And I when I want to buy little things, I need more bullets. I know I can go during this week and I'll get the you know, get the, the sales tax off. But lastly, I think we got to make keep in mind that when we have all this stuff happening, the instability right now in the globe across the country, I mean, the, across the world with the, the, the wars. We got to consider the fact that there's so much instability with Biden. Mm. We got Iran doing these small little digs at us. So who God knows what they're planning. Um, Having a (coughs) armed citizen group, having an armed citizen militia is strong. I mean, it's strong. It helps us to stay safe. Um, A lot of countries won't attack. A lot of our adversaries won't attack because of it. So I'm I'm pro all of this. Oh my God, what a bunch of word salad that was. So because we're going to have a week of sales tax exemption so that Janelle can go buy bullets for her gun, Iran, who might be planning something domestically, only they're not, needs this sales tax holiday. Um, Because we're in a re-election cycle and she just doesn't happen to like who the president of the United States is, and I don't even know what the implication, what, what is the implication there? It's not like the current president of the United States has plotted, I don't know, an insurrection to take down our government. Don't want to mention that, I guess, Janelle, do we? Uh, I, I just, and, and crime is down. That's right. Crime is down, not just in Atlanta, in the state, but throughout the United States. Crime is down under the current president, but be, because deer are eating her rose bushes and because... She's concerned about Iran. Janelle wants the sales tax holiday so that she can go buy bullets. Hmm. Uh, anyway, here's how the segment continues. I'm telling you, I, I get up every Sunday morning to watch this. It's good stuff. Melita. Well, you mentioned the school tax, sales tax holiday, and you know, we got rid of that a few years ago. If we're going to do something at that time of year, it would be far more useful for the majority of Georgia families, especially single mom families where maybe they don't climb up into deer stands, to reinstate (laughs) the sales tax holiday on school supplies. I'd much rather see that sales tax holiday than a gun holiday. So, Phil, here's my question, because politically, you know, if Republicans really need to get the suburban moms and those independents back on their team. Is this going to do it? Nope. Sure, I'm going to take you to a firing range, and you can see <laughs> a lot of. See, I mean, you know, of, we own guns in our house, and we have them all locked up, and we've got them in the car, and they're my all. My point is up. that there's a lot of but suburban women. We need to incentivize women. people to buy more guns. You know, I don't have a problem with it. Obviously, we're for law-abiding citizens to have guns. We do have a Second Amendment for the right to keep and bear arms. Wow, you have wow, the right wow, to wow. defend yourself in, in crime-ridden neighborhoods. And then, of course, there's two Georgias. There's rural Georgia with our sportsmen and right. hunters, and then there's urban area. I can see where some people. I can see both sides of it. I can see why some people may not like this, but uh, these aren't the bad guys that are really doing this. I can at least appreciate that Phil Kent is pandering to the rural Georgia voter. I mean, that's what he does. Phil Kent is a former editorial page editor, conservative, of course. Uh, In fact, he and I actually worked at the same newspaper for a little while while I was in high school. I mean, we never met or anything like that, but 
the point remains, he points out that there are two Georgias and that this clearly panders to the other Georgia. That's my point exactly. These useless, I, I, this, this is of no use. This deer hunters, big game hunters, saving a few bucks one week out of the year is not going to boost the economy. It's not going to make us safer. It's not going to help, as Belita points out, uh, parents with school kids outfit their kids or get them the tablet or the laptop that they need for school with savings of anywhere from, I don't know, 50 to a hundred or more dollars on the sales tax from purchasing such an item. But this is just panderous nonsense. Now we've had Melita Easter's on this show several times. Darren Johnson, we've invited several times and I just can't seem to get him on. Anyway, he backs up what Melita says with a little historical context. Point. And I want to emphasize what Melita just said. It's been since 2016 we have not had a back-to-school sales tax holiday in this state. Okay, so it shows you where the priorities for Thank the Republican you. Party. We can are, do right? both. Hold on, but hold on. But 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 I'm going to prioritization, right? You gotta you gotta state your priorities. And what the Republicans are doing in the in quote State Senator Jason Estevez, this is not about guns. It's not about hunting. I'm a responsible gun owner as well, Janelle. Mm-hmm. This is about politics. And and what they're doing is that they're putting basically red meat scoring political points yep. at the expense of Georgia families. Yep. I think that we should reinstate the 2000, since 2016, this sales tax. I don't necessarily think we need to incentivize more people to go out and buy ammunition and guns because guess what? We're open care state. We're guns everywhere. People can walk in any place. They can walk in here right now. Now, they won't go through our amazing security. And I think, you, you know, you're a little strapped up every now and then, Phil. You'll protect us. Me too. And you're probably strapped up too. Uh, wow, I will defend okay. you. Yeah, don't but, worry. But, you'll be protected. But, but to Lori's point, I just think that and look, I've, and I've met a lot more women, let's be fair, that have gone out and purchased guns because mm-hmm. of safety. But it's about being a responsible gun owners. Mm-hmm. And I believe well, that. We all you, agree with but that. But if you tell yeah. these we women all agree with and that. these parents, hey, you can get more sales tax to basically have pencils and books and school supplies versus a tax incentive to get more ammunition and guns. So anyway, the gun tax holiday, that's last week's useless legislation. Back to this week's useless legislation from the Georgia Senate trying to politicize immigration policy at our U.S. southern border when we have bipartisan support for a bill in Washington, only it's Republicans blocking it. Uh, Senator Jason Estevez speaking on the Georgia Senate floor about this meaningless legislation that the Georgia Republicans are pushing through. Colleagues, I rise this afternoon in opposition to SR 543 and to provide you with facts that you are likely not aware of given the wording of this resolution. Before I begin, I want to make one thing clear, and it won't come as a surprise to you, that this measure really does nothing more than seek headlines and not solutions. Bingo. It's clear, based on the language in the resolution, that this is more about political points and not about securing our borders or solving our immigration crisis. In fact, as the senator from the 42nd explained, the majority's party has stopped every major effort to solve the immigration crisis in the last 30 years. That's right. Every single one. Bingo. The last one being just last week, where former President Trump essentially stopped all progress on a bipartisan bill. So while I agree with the senator from the 51st that there's an impotence issue in D.C. 
<laughs> One of the causes is former President Trump. Oh my gosh. Now, I was originally going to spend most of my time talking about the great contribution of our immigrant community. But I thought about it some more and thought that it would be disrespectful to them to actually bring them up during this debate. Because the fact of the matter is that tying immigration to crime and fentanyl cannot be credibly backed up by any data. Any research that has been conducted has shown that there is no tie between the fentanyl crisis and immigration. Mm -hmm. And while blaming immigrants for this crisis grabs headlines, it's not rooted in pretty clear data. But we all know that facts, data, math, science all have a liberal bias. Thank you so much, Senator Estevez, for that statement. All right, John Stewart's back on The Daily Show. And if you're a Biden-Harris fan, that really wasn't a good first night for you. Back with a taste of that when the Ron Show returns. It's the Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Last night, the triumphant return, one, one night a week. Why, why, why just one night? You only have four shows. Do all four, John. Anyway, uh, John Stewart back on The Daily Show. And <laughs> if you thought, liberals, progressives, that this was going to be good for us, good for our team, night one was not that night. Uh, a lot of talk over the weekend and through yesterday about President Joe Biden's age, Donald Trump's age, some of the conversation, but to me, not on an equal footing when we're dealing with not just memory, but mental acuity. But I'm going to let John explain to you how the Biden-Harris administration has really not handled responding to this very well at all. The Super Bowl was on Sunday and the president was offered a chance, as per tradition, to do an interview where millions and millions of people could see him competently and clearly lay out his 2024 agenda. Or he could just turn that down and do what this is. The Biden-Harris campaign joined TikTok over the weekend. The first video was released during the Super Bowl and it shows President Biden answering questions related to the big game. Oh, game or halftime show? Game. Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. I understand she makes great chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> oh, my God. Fire everyone. Please. Everyone. How do you go on TikTok and end up looking older? Everyone spent the entire weekend talking about whether the Democratic choice for president is mentally up to the challenge of the world's most demanding job. So what was his opponent saying this weekend? We have to win in November or we're not going to have Pennsylvania. They'll change the name. They're going to change the name of Pennsylvania. Yes, it should be noted, while concerns over any president's fitness and acuity are legitimate, especially those at an advanced age, Biden's opponent also seems to live at the villages. So <laughs> the question then becomes, what the f are we doing here, people? Oh, wait. But, now, hear me, liberals. This is where I think our team is handling this so poorly. The American people are reading right through this bullshit. Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair. 
because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp, he's focused, he's bright. He is sharp, intensely probing, and detail-oriented and focused. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on. He's smart, he's on his game. I was in almost every meeting with the president, and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? Right, exactly. <laughs> because oh. you're... If you're telling us behind the scenes he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. For real. That would be good to show to people. Yeah. Instead of a TikTok where he goes, <laughs> all right now listen it, it was a lot of laughs and uh, some of them i would say a good number at our expense on the left but uh, at the end of the show john has the serious interview and uh, zany minton beddoes from the economist was on and, and john actually followed up on this thought there is obviously a press pool. There's a White House press corps. There's a certain amount of mystery that seems to surround this. All the people behind the scenes are saying, you don't know like we know. He's leading these meetings. He's unbelievable. You, I wish you could see it. But certainly, there are press people that travel with the president. Surely, I have not seen people come out with firsthand accounts. They have not come what, out and said... Bounding along Air Force One. Right, or just said, I follow the president, I'm with him every day, he is unbelievably sharp, he's just camera shy, or whatever it is, <laughs> but nobody is making those. It makes it seem conspiratorial. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I think it's what is clear is that it is quite hard to get access to this president. He is very carefully shepherded around. He doesn't do very many press conferences, he doesn't do very many interviews. I assume that's for a reason. And mm. I hear the same thing. You know, he's very sharp. He talks for a long time. He can outlast anybody in a meeting. I'm perfectly prepared to believe that on some subjects that's true. Joe Biden knows a huge amount of that foreign policy. He is exactly the right person to have in the Oval Office, in the world as it is we have today. And I'm sure on certain things, he can go for hours and hours and hours. He can probably be in negotiations for a long time. But does that mean he should be president for another two terms? I, I think it's worrying. And to me, what's additionally worrying is, while Donald Trump is the presumed nominee on the GOP side, at least on their side, they have voices who are saying, yeah, he's too old for this. He's kind of lost it. And on the left, you have Dean Phillips, who's running for the nomination, who's getting castigated for saying it. And I, I admit that I, I don't like when somebody wades into an ageist realm I've actually called him out for it on socials, but he's kind of not wrong. And maybe it's time for us on the left to start understanding that when you've got those on the right who are calling a spade a spade, an old spade a spade, but we're all on the left within official ranks anyway, just, oh, no, he's fantastic. We just can't let you behind the curtain to see how fantastic the wizard is. It does look conspiratorial. 
Chris Christie on Meet the Press asked a little bit about the special counsel's description of Joe Biden's character at this point in his life. Former Attorney General Eric Holder said this about the report, quote, way too many gratuitous remarks and is flatly inconsistent with longstanding DOJ traditions. Did this report cross any lines for you? I don't think so. And look, I did this, as you know, for seven years as the U.S. attorney in the fifth largest office in the country. Um, the fact is they had to give the reasons why they weren't prosecuting when you start off the report by saying that he willfully and knowingly retained classified documents. Well, that's a violation of the law. So the question then for the prosecutor is, then why aren't you bringing charges? And he gave two reasons, essentially. One was President Biden's memory, lack of memory, his condition. And secondly, was that President Biden cooperated once documents were discovered, he let them go in and do whatever they needed to do to get those documents or retrieve them, as opposed to what Pre President Trump did. Now, see, I happen to think, but I'm a little partisan, that it was point two that had more bearing on whether or not charges were going to be filed, because, again, the former vice president, current president, actually cooperated fully, whereas the former president in Mar-a-Lago did not. Democrats being all apoplectic that her brought up Biden's age when we all know Biden's age... Maybe it crossed the line, but maybe it's also a cold dose of reality that we needed. Back after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This, this is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So Monday, the fine folks at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Politically Georgia podcast and blog, reported that an attorney who sought to have Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones disqualified from office has filed a new legal complaint seeking to force a state agency to appoint a prosecutor to pursue election interference charges against that Republican, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. The litigation from attorney Wayne Kendall on behalf of four plaintiffs asks the Clayton County Superior Court judge to order the prosecuting attorney's Council of Georgia, a nonpartisan organization, to take action because the council has, quote, completely failed to perform its duties. The report continues, the 14-page filing faces long odds in court, coming weeks after another judge summarily rejected Kendall's bid to oust Jones for aiding former President Donald Trump's efforts to subvert President Joe Biden's 2020 election victory. But it represents the latest attempt in Georgia to seek to bar Trump and his allies from the 2024 ballot or use their uh, other legal efforts to punish them. The Prosecuting Attorney's Council of Georgia, Pete Skandalakis, the nonpartisan agency's director, declined to comment. The attorney who did file the legal motion, however, Attorney Wayne Kendall is joining me to discuss this today. Good morning. Thank you for joining the Rancho. I appreciate you doing that, sir. Thank you for having me. So why has this sort of, and you've, you've, tried, you've tried to get some action on this before. Why is this not gaining any traction in the courtroom, in your opinion? Well, I've only filed one other lawsuit involving Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, and that's a disqualification lawsuit under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, claiming... Right that because he was a fake elector and for other reasons, he's disqualified from holding any further political office in the state of Georgia. That case was uh, dismissed by the local trial judge in the county where he lives, mm -hmm. which was not unexpected by, by me. And we now have that case before the Georgia Supreme Court. So, so that's the only case that I've had mm -hmm. against him other than the one I filed uh, this past week. Do you feel that the U.S. Supreme Court's uh, conversations last week on the 14th Amendment, Section 3, have any bearing or give you any insight into uh, how, how this 
case on your part is proceeding here at the state level? Well, the case out of Colorado that was argued before the U.S. Supreme Court is fundamentally different from the case I have against uh, Burt Jones sure. on a number of levels. All right. uh, number one, Burt Jones is not a candidate for president. Mm -hmm. uh, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, there's the omission of the office of the president from the text of Section 3. We don't have that issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a difference in, uh, as a, uh, the lower court in Colorado rule, uh, that he took a different oath than the one that's specified in the Constitution in, 14th, in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, to support the Constitution, whereas the oath of a president is to uh, preserve and protect the Constitution. So there's, there were two differences there that we don't have in our case because Burt Jones, at the time that he engaged in insurrectionist activities, was a state senator. And state senators or state office holders are specifically listed in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, whereas the office of the president is not. And Burt Jones took an oath to support the Constitution, which is exactly what the 14th Amendment, Section 3, says that if you do that, and you engage in insurrectionist activities, or you engage in the aid and comfort of the enemies of the Constitution, then you are disqualified from holding office. So there are two major differences. And the, and the third difference is that we have a person who is holding office currently as a state office holder, mm -hmm. as opposed to Trump, who was a candidate for the office of president. And one of the main reasons that the U.S. Supreme Court raised to uh, argue against the Colorado decision was that one state should not have the authority to derail the presidential elections by eliminating candidates. And the whole question of whether or not a single state has the authority to determine who can run for president or keep a person off the presidential ballot in a national election. Again, we don't have that issue in our case with Burt Jones. Though it is, it is interesting to posit the way we view Colorado being the one state who could determine is or isn't on a presidential ballot with Georgia having fake electors trying to undo election results, not just at the state level, but on the national level as well with, with this fake elector slate. Uh, do, do you note the irony there? Yeah, I do note the irony there. Um, uh, the Supreme Court never had that issue raised, uh, but I think it's pretty clear that no state has the ability to determine, no group of people, I should say, have the ability to determine who can be an elector and who cannot be an elector. That is determined by the mechanisms within the state, generally the governor, who uh, is authorized to determine who can be an elector and who cannot be an elector. In the case of these uh, seven states mm. that attempted mm. to put forth fake electors, none of the states that were affected ever did those persons as the true electors from that state, and nor did the archivists or the Congress of the United States. So if you don't mind, and by the way, we're on with, uh, with Wayne Kendall, who has uh, filed uh, another legal motion to have Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones uh, be investigated or to be disqualified from holding an office because of his role as a fake elector in the aftermath of the 2020 campaign. 
Uh, if, if you can, explain to those of us who are not legal scholars or not even constitutional scholars or lawyers, uh, why having a slate of fake electors even convene to be on standby, I guess, quote-unquote, just in case, is such a dangerous uh, attempt to play with fire, constitutionally speaking? Well, if, if that were to be allowed, then any group of persons could attempt to derail a particular state's electoral process just simply by naming some other individuals as the true electors from that state, as was the case uh, in the state of Georgia and six other states where uh, Joe Biden won the presidential election in those states. Mm. Um, that's completely against the processes that are set forth in the 20th Amendment and in the Electoral College uh, Act. So you can't have individuals just running around saying, oh, I'm a duly elected and appointed elector uh, without going through the proper procedures, mm. which calls for the electors to be certified by the executive person in the state office. Mm. Now, if Burt Jones, who was uh, a Trumpite, had been the governor at the Brian Kemp was the governor in 2020, mm. he would have decertified the duly elected persons who were sworn to support Joe Biden as the president of the United States from, and ha after having won the election in the state of Georgia. Mm. That's why it's dangerous to have a person who is of that bent of mind that a, that a group of people can determine who are the duly elected electors from a state be the governor of a state. Right. That's the reason for that's the reason for the amendment section three disqualification calls because people who have sworn an oath to support the U.S. Constitution then go against the U.S. Constitution and show that they have no respect for the Constitution should no longer be allowed to serve uh, in a state office or a federal office. So your your opinion then is that this should also disqualify Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones from even running for office in the future should he decide, for example, to run for governor in 2026? Absolutely. Uh, when you're disqualified under Section 3 mm -hmm. of the 14th Amendment, unless the U.S. Congress, by a two-thirds vote, removes the disqualification, you are barred from ever holding any office you then hold, as well as any future office that you may attempt to run for, you are disqualified from running from office. That's what Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, pretends for anyone who engages in an insurrection after they have sworn an oath to support the U.S. Constitution. Would there be different penalties for any of the fake electors who were not currently serving in office or wishing to serve in office? Are, are there any sort of legal ramifications that might come from that well, in a the, just world? Yeah, there are some other legal uh, uh, consequences, but not under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Section okay. 3 of the 14th Amendment only applies to persons who have sworn an oath mm -hmm. to support the Constitution and then engage in insurrectionist activities. Uh, in Georgia, Burt Jones was the only... I repeat, the only elected official in the state of Georgia who signed on as a fake elector at the time on December the 14th, 2020, when they signed that fake elector document. Mm. None of the other 15 people 
were elected officials at the time, so they would not be disqualified under the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. However, there are other consequences, such as forgery, mm. such as uh, filing a false writing, etc. In fact, three of the other persons who signed those documents out of the 16, including Burt Jones, have been indicted. Mm. Mm. And so now you've uh, you filed this action uh, before a Clayton Superior Court judge. Do you feel that you you've you've got better odds there there than versus Butts County, where Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones hails from? Well, you know, I don't I don't look at the cases I filed in terms of what are the odds uh-huh. of a judge following the law. I look at what the law is, what the facts are. I apply the law to the facts, and if it comes out that I believe that a law has been violated or a rule has been violated, then I file the lawsuit. Whether or not a judge sees it my way is is a different different story. I don't handicap yeah. courts and judges. I, I file it in the pro to be filed in, mm. and I let the chips fall where they may from there. I argue my cases as best I can. Sure. And in, in each of these cases that I have filed, I believe that the cases are meritorious, and regardless of what some judge thinks, I go by what I think. Yeah. That, that's noble in a political climate. It just doesn't always seem to bear itself out that way. And then uh, say, say you do get the uh, Clayton Superior Court judge to see things your way and order the prosecuting attorney counsel to take action. Well, this prosecuting attorney's counsel, it's fraught with partisanship as well, is it not? Well, let me, let me clarify something. Okay. The law in this case, the the recent case that I filed, the Mandamus case, Mm -hmm. is a case that applies to Pete Scandalakis and not to the prosecuting attorney's counsel. Ah. The law requires Pete Scandalakis as the executive director of the prosecuting attorney's counsel to appoint a conflict prosecutor. So that is an obligation personal to his office, Mm -hmm. not to the prosecuting attorney's counsel. So the question is, has Pete Scandalakis in his position as the executive director for a period of over 18 months after he was notified that Fonnie Willis, the district attorney in Fulton County, was disqualified from prosecuting Burt Jones, whether or not he has fulfilled his clear legal obligation, a mandatory obligation to appoint a conflict prosecutor and whether or not his delay and appointing a person to that position is unreasonable and misfeasible. I understand. And and I should actually uh, correct myself. The uh, Georgia Prosecuting Attorneys Council uh, professes to be a nonprofit agency as well. Yeah, it's a it's an agency of the state of Georgia, which is comprised of nine individuals, uh, six DAs, and three solicitor generals from the state of Georgia, who then select an individual to carry out the functions of that agency. And that person is called an executive director. Pete Scandalakis is a person that serves in that position currently. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you giving me some time to explain this. And and, and again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a constitutional scholar. This uh, sometimes I think kind of makes folks eyes glaze over. It's very cumbersome, very complex. And uh, I find myself having to ask questions that need to be, you know, 
where the answers need to be dumbed down so that I understand it. And if it's that way for me, I know it's that way for many American voters. But this is an important fight that you are continuing to uh, to, to take to uh, the courts here on behalf of four plaintiffs. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, <clears throat> bring some clarity. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Wayne Kendall, thank you so much for joining the Ron Show today. Thank you. We hear a lot from Donald Trump and his camp about there being uh, a two tiers of justice, a uh, two-tier justice system in this country. And yet that's the sort of two-tier justice system that I think about. A well-connected politician managing to tap dance his way around repercussions for actions that he took. Now, for his part, back to the Politically Georgia blog yesterday, uh, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones' aide Chris Hartline said the Lieutenant Governor has, quote, never been concerned about these partisan efforts to weaponize the legal system to subvert the will of voters of Georgia. Well, of course he's never been concerned because he's a connected lieutenant governor in a GOP-led state, right? But it is ironic that he wants to talk about subverting the will of the voters of Georgia when he sought to seat himself as a fake elector to subvert the will of the majority of the voters of Georgia. There should be ramifications for that. My thanks to uh, Wayne Kendall for joining us to enlighten me, if nobody else, on how this process works or why it's not, actually. All right. Uh, more on the funny front when the Ron Show returns in just a couple here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening, whether it's on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, in the 9 to 10 a.m. weekday slot, or the replay 5 to 6 p.m. Thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Or if you listen via podcast, did you know you could actually hear the show when it first airs, 9 to 10 a.m. weekdays on America One Radio, or the replay 5 to 6 p.m.? I usually don't podcast it until after 6 p.m. Sometimes it's just after 6 p.m., and sometimes it's Oh, God, I just got home from dinner and uh, I forgot. to. So (laughs) you can reliably hear the show, I guess is what I'm saying, if you want to do appointment listening, 9 to 10 or 5 to 6 weekdays on America One Radio. So uh, yesterday, the latest in the funny Willis-Nathan-Wade kerfuffle. So unnecessary that we're even dealing with this. Anyway, uh, Fulton County Superior uh, Court Judge Scott McAfee on Monday cleared the way for an evidentiary hearing Uh, That will be Thursday. That will probe whether District Attorney Fonnie Willis improperly benefited from a relationship with the top prosecutor, Nathan Wade, in her election interference case. This reporting, by the way, from the AJC's Tamar Hollerman, David Wickert, and Bill Rankin of the firm Hollerman, Wickert, and Rankin. Anyway, uh, McAfee turned back a request from the Fulton DA's office to cancel the hearing and to kill subpoenas seeking testimony from Willis and eight others in her office, including Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade her executive assistant, and the investigators uh, involved in her security detail. Uh, The extraordinary developments were sparked by a motion from defendant Michael Roman, you'll remember, to disqualify Willis and her office from the case. One sign of how seriously the judge is taking the issue, he has set aside Thursday and Friday for testimony and arguments, saying, because I think it's possible that the facts alleged by the defendant could result in disqualification, I think an evidentiary hearing must occur to establish the record on those core allegations, he said. Reading further, the judge said he would allow Roman's attorney, Ashley Merchant, to question Terrence Bradley, that is Nathan Wade's former law partner who had represented him in his divorce case. Merchant believes that Bradley can speak to when Willis and Wade's relationship began. 
I saw this clip on social media, Rachel Maddow actually touching on this. And again, let's let's give some credit to the liberal-leaning media here. I thought she did a fairly fair job in discussing this case and and speculates that maybe the way out is for Fani to recuse herself. Uh, take a listen to how she framed this last night. Also on Thursday, Georgia prosecutor Fannie Willis will be appearing at a hearing about whether or not she should be disqualified from her RICO case against Donald Trump in Georgia. Trump and some of his 14 co-defendants in Fannie Willis's case in Georgia argue that she should be disqualified because she and one of the top prosecutors she hired for the case are involved in a personal romantic relationship. Now, Fannie Willis has argued that nothing about that personal relationship is disqualifying. She's argued that Trump and his co-defendants are just using these allegations essentially as salacious um, distractions to try to muddy the waters and, and scuttle the case against them by creating a lot of public relations nonsense about this issue that has no legal consequence. Yeah. That said, there was a hearing today on these allegations, and the judge in this case in Georgia said that these allegations against District Attorney Willis could result in Willis being disqualified from the case. And as such, he said he definitely wants to hear evidence on these allegations on Thursday of this week. So it all makes for a very, very busy week in terms of the legal part of our political news now. Um, But it also puts District Attorney Fonnie Willis in quite a spot. Right. I mean, regardless of what you or anybody else might think about Willis's personal relationship with this prosecutor and whether she did anything legally wrong here, the only person whose opinion really matters on that right now is the judge. And today in court, he did make clear, he did say explicitly that he thinks she might be disqualified from this case because of these allegations. Now, the key dynamic at work around this is that if Fonnie Willis is disqualified, fairly or unfairly, her whole office, the whole district attorney's office is disqualified from working on that case, which would mean in all likelihood that whole case would go away. And that is why Georgia State University law professor Clark Cunningham argued in the New York Times last month that the best thing Fonnie Willis could do to protect her case against Trump and his RICO defendants in Georgia would be for her to take a leave of absence, for her to take a personal leave of absence from the district attorney's office to turn over the case to a deputy district attorney that would end these proceedings against her effectively, and it would leave her office in charge of the case, and the case could still go forward. We contacted Professor Cunningham about this today, these new developments. He told us, quote, This action, meaning a personal leave by District Attorney Willis, should be looked at strategically as the best option she has to make this enormously distracting controversy go away and to put the case back on track, still in the control of the Fulton County DA's office. If Judge McAfee grants any of the motions to disqualify Willis at the hearing Thursday this week, then her option to take leave probably disappears at that point. Now, I should also mention the Washington Post is reporting tonight that Trump plans to attend that Thursday hearing in Georgia so he can be there in the courtroom as the details of this personal relationship between Fonnie Willis and this other prosecutor are laid out in open court. That should make it all the more of a circus. There will also, I believe, be cameras in that court proceeding. Don't quote me on that. But of course, Trump would like to be there regardless. Kyle Cheney, the senior legal affairs reporter for Politico, however, reporting uh, via X, formerly Twitter, that Donald Trump will be attending his New York criminal hearing on Thursday and not the Fonnie Willis disqualification hearing in Georgia, per his attorney, Steve Sadow. 
which makes me wonder if maybe Steve Sadow also concurs with Professor Clark Cunningham about what Fonnie Willis should do and maybe thinks that that's what she and her office will do prior to that Thursday hearing. Well, it's Tuesday morning as I wrap this show up and the clock is ticking. We shall see. Now, if that Thursday hearing does take place because the district attorney has not taken this leave of absence, as has been suggested, then a professor, another professor at Georgia State University, Anthony Michael Kreis, says, I think folks will be more bored with Thursday's hearing in Fulton County than they think, in part because there's going to be a lot, and I mean a lot, of evidentiary fights. What's hearsay? What calls for speculation? What's relevant? What's privileged? A lot of fits and starts, he says. Still, I like the Clark Cunningham thought. Maybe a leave of absence is the right way to save all of the work that not just Fonnie Willis, but all that have worked for her department have done to get this case where it is. We shall see. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 9 to 10 a.m. and then 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, and afterwards, wherever you podcast. Show notes at ronshowatl.com. Take care.